Welcome to the mic. I'm Jake Killeen. On today's episode, something a little different. We have Matt from Golf Sidekick joining us. Matt is a great bloke who I met last year overseas. He started his YouTube channel two and a half years ago, has already amassed 80,000 subscribers and 16 million views. The YouTube channel follows his journey across the globe while he plays at different golf courses and gives his perspective on the game as he plays it. With so much golf under his belt, he would have a perspective in the golfing industry that I think is valuable to listen to. I can't wait to talk about how we can improve the game in terms of compelling new players to the sport and how we can make the game more fun. I recommend that you stick around to the end too because we have subscriber questions that we're going to answer from his YouTube channel, so that should be a heap of fun. So thanks for joining me today, Golf Sidekick. Matty, thanks for joining me, mate. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Where are you exactly? Yeah. Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit of a ball how, how many episodes have you got stored up to release? Oh, I've got tons, eh? I've, yeah. been, playing, I've been playing a lot since uh, lockdown finished. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I've, probably, I've probably got about 12 videos ready to go. Oh, that's good. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm doing quite a few solo rounds, and then I've got J-Mac and Brian who you know are getting better so i get to show people them getting better mm, yeah good but Sounds but in terms good. of all the friends in bangkok i mean i can't even go and see them and make more footage so we see yeah. how it goes seems to be going right i mean the channel's now got seven thousand more subs in the last 28 days so that's, that's awesome. the biggest month ever fed yeah well a lot, lot more people at home isn't it so yeah um a more, more, lot more time to watch things <laughs> Yeah, that's what that's what uh, happened during lockdown, especially. But now it's gone even even higher because now I think the golf's opening up, so mm. people are coming back off their Saturday and Sunday rounds, and they're like, "Crap, you know, I shot a ninety-three again, and I was like eleven over after 16. <laughs> so it. then they get in there like, "How to break ninety?" <laughs> that's it. So hey, I'm getting uh, I'm getting a lot more views on those. Yeah, that's awesome. But, but the funniest part is that people are viewing things like how to break seventy the most that's like the my video that's done the best is how to break 70 mm -hmm. and you're like why are 800,000 people watching this video and only 40 or 50,000 watching how to break 90 it's yeah. like yeah what's going on it, it's it's like i liken it to when i try to play the guitar you want to play yeah. like in a band straight away <laughs> yeah you, you don't you don't want to learn the chords and the notes and strumming you don't want to do, you want to literally start in a band tomorrow or next week, and you want to figure out how to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, you're going to be the next Metallica before anything else. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. So it, it is fascinating, isn't it? But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite fascinating yeah, how that's I, number one. I think it's, yeah, I think it's normal, I guess, though. It's like, it's like mm. the strokes gain thing that's got so much traction as well. It's like, mm. it's going to help the guy with a three handicap or less to assess himself versus the pro field. But for like, you know, people are pushing this stuff on like 15 handicappers and 21 handicappers. So mm. they've got a 21 handicapper trying to gain strokes on the field of the PGA. Mm. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> High expectations. Yeah. High lofty goals. <laughs> well, yeah, they want yeah. to so the, know uh, what the, how the good guys do it, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. Intriguing, intriguing for them. Yeah. But like, like this is one of the videos I didn't publish because I didn't really have that great footage, but I spent four days with Pro Mo on my channel, mm, just mm. doing exactly what he does for four straight days. Man, mm. after the second day, I was, I was finished. I was dead. I couldn't get off the sofa. I fell asleep <laughs> for 10 hours, and then he woke me up at 5.30 to go for a jog. So it's like 5.30, 10.30, 11.30, 12.30, 
jogging and exercise. It's like breakfast. It's hitting balls. It's chipping. And chipping and putting, the same chip and the same putt on the same ruler for like two hours straight. And then it's lunchtime. And then it's uh, gym time. And you're like, cool, end of the day. No, back to hit balls at the range. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff people don't see. They just see the guys whacking the ball 320 on TV and yep. think they can do it. They have no idea how much, how much work and time they put into their game. Absolutely. No, it's, it's sick. And it's, I think it's like the ultimate entrepreneurship because mm. you're investing so much time into yourself and so mm. much effort to be paid off one day, perhaps, maybe. Mm-hmm. And exactly. that's a big risk. Yeah, it's a, it's a full-on investment in yourself, as you said. And uh, I actually like to have uh, some of my student, young students who want to become pros follow uh, a pro for a week like you, like you did and actually yeah. have a look at what they do. And it's not, only, it's, not only, it's not only the stuff you talk about with practice, it's organizing your life. It's organizing yeah. trips and planes and uh, hotels, uh, possible investors into you to help you, you gain your goals. So there's so much involved in it. Yeah. And um, a lot of people do it at the start for themselves by themselves. And then when they finally, you know, make some money, they're able, able to get a, a nice community around them that helps them do that, like managers or physios or um, travel agents, whatever it is. But yeah, it's, um, it's very tough. No, no ways. Not for me. I, I <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, when you're a kid, you're like, yeah, I'd love to be a pro golf and you go and practice hard and then slowly you lose the interest. And then you look back and you think, yeah, but what if, so you go spend four days with a professional 23-year-old and you're like, nah, there's no what if. I, I did not have the stamina back then. I still don't have the willpower yep. to do it now. Yeah, it's the ultimate. So, which is a nice feeling. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly to figure that out. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's the ultimate kick in the bum, the old golf, because you can hit a, a shot, maybe one or two around that's just as good as the pro. And you might birdie yeah. one or two holes <laughs> and you think, gee, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're like, if you're Googling when is the next uh, US amateur qualifying <laughs> and shoot 93 in the next round. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the, the, the toll on the body, um, these guys, if they play say three, four, five weeks in a row, um, they travel on the Monday, uh, practice round Tuesday, Wednesday, pro-am Wednesday, and then they've got four rounds if they make the cut. And so no, crazy. the mental and physical on your body and emotional, and then to back it up, some, some guys have gone eight weeks in a row. Like it, it is crazy. Yeah. Like promo did 10 weeks in a row and <laughs> the final five weeks, I think he finished with like four top fives and one top 10 and he was shattered when I went to go visit him. <laughs> and even during that period where he was shattered, he's still getting up every day, 5.30 to go jam until he gets home at about 9 PM every day. Mate, it's that's... absolutely insane. That's another I did it level. for a couple of days and I couldn't move. No, that's a different level. That that's uh, yeah. usually you come over from an eight, eight, 10 week stint and have a week off. <laughs> no, I think he had one, he had one week off. I remember yeah. and that's when I went to play with him in Chiang Mai as well. And he was just doing nothing, but he was itching to get out again. And I, I thought to myself, well, I'm glad I've done this because I know I don't have enough passion or drive to even do that. The rest of my life is going fine enough that I don't have to, do yeah. that and put that, that pressure on myself. Yeah. Just enjoy the game. It's actually shattering too when you, you know a pro uh, to a player you want to play with when they come home because the last thing they want to do is play golf. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's really annoying. It's like you're raring to go, I want to play with this tour professional that's really good and, you know, uh, he's a good fella and, and he's like, mate, I don't want to look at golf, feel golf, touch golf for at least the next week. 
<laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I was quite appreciative with him and uh, also Golf Every Second of the channel is that they actually they actually just played and there was no complaints. They had a good time. I was really appreciative because when I did the four days with them, I was like, dude, I don't know how you've done this 10 weeks in a row and still mm. get up to go and play golf again because I'd probably give up the game. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, and, and they've got to make it fun, don't they? They've got to love it. Uh, they've got to love the grind. I, I had a guy yeah. called Scott Hend on the channel recently. Uh, do, have you heard of Scott Hend, the Aussie guy? Yeah, he used to, um, he used to be quite uh, involved in Thailand in, with, mm. in, some kind of, in some company up here, I remember. Yeah, he, he's, uh, he's one of the Asian tours all-time best. He's got a lot of uh, wins and 10, 10 wins and so forth. But what he said, he, you have to love the grind. You have to love getting out there and grinding by yeah. yourself to make it in the sport. And, um, you know, as, as you said before, a lot of people don't realize how much loneliness and hard work and of a slog it is. Yeah. And, and you actually, the fun is not in playing anymore because I noticed after those four days, I was like, dude, this is not fun. Mm. Like, I'm not enjoying this at all. Mm. So clearly there's something in someone's brain that says, okay, this is fun to push through my barriers and to become better and to, to mm. prove to myself I can do these hard things. Whereas for most of us, we would just be like, well, this is not fun anymore. I think I'm going to take up cycling or something. Yeah, definitely. So, the, 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 definitely. The, I think the fun comes with the, um, uh, the goals you set for yourself and achieving the goals. It's, so I think that's where the fun comes in. I've achieved something. I, you know, you've got you guys that really love the game as well. And I think you've got to love it to a level. But when you're out there playing tour golf, it definitely is a job a little bit where mm -hmm. you have to make cuts, you have to make money. I mean, you have to survive. Um, but I yeah. think internally you have to keep it as a, a game and a fun game. And I, the guys that keep it that way seem to do their best you know, and get to the yeah, top Yeah, that's level. what I also picked up is that people just look at it and you'll say, wow, must be such a great life. I'd love to be playing like PGA Tour. Wow, so glamorous. But like that guy's win, that wins, when he wins on the PGA Tour, that's not just, that's not just four days of golf. Mm -hmm. That might be 20 years of practice. Mm -hmm. and, and not just 20 years of practice like, yeah, I'll go down to the range and go hit a few balls. I'll go chip and putt for an hour here or there. It's like nine hours a day grinding nine to five jobs. It's the same as us sitting at a desk or mm. um, driving a truck or being a delivery guy or a maid, whatever it is that mm. you are. It's the same thing. It's just putting in those hours Absolutely. and it's grinding, man. I don't know how you guys do it. <laughs> well, I stopped doing oh. it for sure. <laughs> That's, it became too hard and um, I'm doing something else now. I'm loving the coaching, but I, I had such a good time with you. I, I was lucky enough to um, feature on one of your episodes when you came to visit me up in Myanmar when I was there. Had a great time with you and I thought it'd be a, a cool thing to get you on to talk about it. Uh, the golf industry from your point of view, because um, look, you've gained so many uh, subscribers and almost like a great following with uh, some, some people out there trying to work on their game and enjoy the game. And so um, you're doing something cool. So what do you think is attracting your subscribers uh, at this stage to your YouTube channel? What do you think it is? Uh, well, it's, it's always been the same thing, I think, from the beginning, because what happens is that um, I was looking at, you know, getting back into golf because I hadn't been playing golf for about four or five years from about 2008 to 2000, no, what is it about? 2012 to 2017, when I moved over to Thailand because I assumed all the golf courses cost like $200 to play. So I didn't play. And I got back into it and I shot 75 on my first round back. And I was like, well, this is easy. 
And I thought I'm going to go for pro. And then I slowly, <laughs> my scores, my scores started creeping up back to over 90. And I could no longer play golf anymore. And I thought about giving it up again. And that's when I realized that there's a lot of people like this who get so in their own head that they end up quitting the game. And I've done it, uh, I think that was my third time quitting. Not, not because of not enjoying it on the third time, but the previous two times I wasn't enjoying the game. It was, it was all the reasons that everybody gives up. It's like any excuse in the book you can make, it was, it was, I had it. And, but what one of the biggest things I found was that a lot of the time as we put the pressure on ourselves to play so well and to do certain things because of what we've read in Golf Digest, what our friends are telling us, what the YouTube videos are saying, what the bad coach that you had, the one bad coach out of 50 that you had told you to do and it screwed your game up. And then what we do is we leave the game and because of six months of frustration that you, you actually, like I, I would remember how, how bad you feel after a bad round of golf, that it like affects the rest of your day. It affects the rest of your week. Yeah, and I wanted, I wanted to show people that you don't have to do those things that they tell you in the Golf Digest books and the YouTube videos, because that's where I'd gotten. I started off with a 75 and I was up over 90. I couldn't hit a green. I couldn't hit a drive straight. It was the worst. It was the worst. It was worse than ever. And I remember the number one thing that inspired me to then move into this kind of video to show people how to break 90 with like no driver, to uh, use the shots they've got, to to play stress-free shots was, I remember something in Golf Digest, Jack Nicholas had his, his thumbs up like this and they like, they like point backwards like this. Yeah. And so I don't know if he said it or if they completely perverted what he said, but they said like, if your thumbs don't go back, you won't ever be a great golfer. Like, like that's a mark. That's like all the greatest golfers have these thumbs that go back. And I was a kid, right? Yeah. And I'm like thinking, God, dude, I'm never going to be a pro. My thumbs are like, they're not, they're like normal. So, so I remember that. And you got more pain than I've to, got. Well, exactly. <laughs> you did the pool much better than I do. <laughs> so, so I took those ideas and all these things that were jumbled in my head and I cleared them out and I thought, you know what, let me show people. You don't need to follow the down the nose pros. You don't need to have these shots that you don't have. You don't need to hit the fancy flops. You don't need to hit 300-yard bombs to enjoy the game. And I wanted to show people they could lower their scores while having fun being in control emotionally and leaving the golf course feeling better than they did when they arrived. Cause so many guys get to the golf course. So, so keen to jam mm. and they leave feeling depressed. And those are the people that I think are attracted the most to the channel because they're tired of being talked down to. They're tired of uh, being told you're never going to be a good golf. If you don't have this shot, if you don't have this characteristic and, and a lot of the time that stuff is just crap. It's very relevant for, for pros if you mm. want to be a tour pro on the PGA Tour, top 200 golf in the world. But a lot of stuff gets given to people out of context and in the end, your head becomes so screwed up and you lose sight of the fact that it's a fun game and there's more than one way to do something and I want to show them those different ways. I mean, there's so many different people on the channel and so mm -hmm. many different strategies that there's something for everyone. You don't have to do it only one way. Yeah, very cool. And has your strategy or what you wanted to try and present to people changed since the first video you did? Or has it remained pretty <laughs> consistent? It has to have because my first ever video was me trying to break 90 because I, I couldn't do it with all my clubs. So I took, I took six iron down 
and I made a video on how to break 90 with a six iron down. And that's all I hit around the golf course. So I did that. And then I started hitting the range and starting to work on some longer clubs. Mm-hmm. And then, then it, it's kind of morphed the strategy into focusing on different skill levels because uh, as I got better, I started to notice that my strategy had to change. So for people who are struggling to break 100, you probably don't need much more than a seven iron in your bag. And if you do have more than a seven iron in your bag that works re- reliably, that's an ultra bonus. And you can actually move through the skill levels quicker. But then I started getting under 90 again in the 80s. And then I started to realize I don't need to hit the driver that much, but my three wood works. And then I started working on the three iron and that started working. So now I start getting closer to the green. And instead of hitting longer clubs into the greens, I'm now hitting shorter clubs. I'm missing less greens. So my short game is less being leaned on to, mm. to save holes. And now I'm at a stage now where I've got down to single figure handicap again, and I've introduced the driver back and the driver and a nice three wood and a hybrid. So now I have the ability to go for par fives into, I have the ability to hit even shorter clubs into the green. And then with that, because it's so four dimensional, now I'm not missing so many greens, but I've got longer putts. So my putts go up, my scrambling goes down and it looks like I'm playing worse in my short game, but I'm actually playing better because of my approach game. So it's very complicated, but the general story for everybody is the same. You don't need many clubs to break 100. To break 90, you need to increase the distance of the tee a little bit, work on the short game. Uh, once you get under 90 to mid 80s, to get under 80, you're going to have to hit a little bit longer off the tee, maybe a three wood or something, and you're going to have to get even better with a short game. And probably, probably also mainly the putting because I notice and, and, and thinking. Thinking. People do not yeah. think on a golf course. It's the number one thing I found between me, J Mac, and Brian on my channel is just the thinking. And then when I played with you, I noticed as well. And you and Promo and Jackie, everyone on my channel who are professionals, the number one thing that separates, like for example, you and me and J Mac, who's now breaking 80, and me and you, is just the thinking. Like you would just describe. When you're looking at a shot, you've got like 17 variables going through your head. Whereas a high handicapper doesn't need to do that. Mm. It's nice that he for him to be aware of three or four of them. But that's, that's what the progression is you see from high handicap thinking of one or two copy-paste golf thoughts all the way down to you where you're thinking of 15, 16 different variables and making a club selection. And that you can only learn by experience. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's experience, as you said, experience and skill level. So once you improve that skill level, you look for different things to improve. And a lot of those different things become, you know, things you've never thought about before. Maybe what is your second shot or what's the result? If this shot goes good or bad, what's, where's the next shot coming from to help lower your score again? So, well, yeah, that's the main, the main thing um, I was talking about for a while as well is think back from the green Mm. So that's a, lot of, a concept that's obvious to most people who have got a certain skill level and are shooting a certain score. But to a lot of people who've never broken 100 or, or 90 or even 110, they've never heard that before. They just heard, bam, bam, bosh the driver right up as far as you can. And if they've listened to anything about strokes gained, it's like go as far as you can with the driver. It doesn't matter if it's in the trees or not. It's always better than shorter. But they've never heard, okay, cool. So what if you have a hole? And every single hole, you can have your comfortable shot into the green. For example, you are really good at a 100-yard nine iron as a uh, 105 shooter. 
No one's ever described to them that just get the ball to that position almost every time and you're going to easily slash shots off your score. So you're planning from the, the green back to the tee and that gives you the freedom to do other things instead of only hitting your driver, instead of only hitting the shots that you're told to hit. And it makes you start to start the thinking process and the planning process. And then, like you say, when your skills get better, you can plan even better with a more variety of shots. But that's a unique concept that would like to, to you and me, would be like, oh, duh, of course, we want to hit like, you want to hit your lob wedge in from 98 yards and I want to hit my 54 from 105 yards. Like we, if we can do that every hole, we're going to be, we're going to be happy. But some people have never been told that. Mm. So that's, that's part of, the concept of the channel as well is to give people these enlightening ideas without talking down the nose to them as if it's like some, you know, strict, highly technical concept. It's just common sense. Yeah. I love what you said about breaking 190 and 80 and 70, those ideas about becoming better to break those, those scores. But when you, when you definitely start, you want to um, really keep it a little bit more simple and you, and you don't, you, the rules say you can have up to 14 clubs in your bag. You don't yeah. need 14. Um, and so, you know, we're sold 14 clubs, but definitely yeah. what you, what well, you're saying is so true. And there's a, there's a, there's a cool pro out, um, locally in Melbourne that, uh, just gets people in the game with one club. So they play yeah. with a seven iron the whole way around, even putting with the seven iron, which, uh, yeah, Sandy, that, that's, that's Sand, Sandy Jamis. I want to, you know, give him a bit of a shout out. So I think that was a really cool thing for a beginner to do is just focus on one club. Well, that's, that's one of the videos I want to make in the future as well, because I've started playing left-handed as well, just, just to prove that the concepts work, because I've never hit a ball left-handed. And after the second nine hole I ever played, I shot a 49 for nine, just purely using seven iron, four hybrid sandwich and a putter. And I thought to myself after that, yes, for beginners, just give them a seven iron, literally chip with it, putt with it, play the whole round with a seven iron, because it's the easiest club to hit and it goes far enough. And you can enjoy it. And then as you get better with it, then you can start introducing the wedge for easier chipping and putts, putter for easier putting. And then a hybrid for a longer tee shot. And I'll bet that, I would bet that 80% of people who went up with four clubs who can't break 100, if they went up with four clubs, they would break 100 within a couple of rounds. Because of, because of the, the paradox of having too much choice and, uh, and being sold so many lies. So to have four clubs and, uh, and just have to improvise and have to set up shots with what you can hit, I think that would be a bigger learning curve than, than probably 20 rounds of playing with a full set. How, how much ego did it take to leave the driver out and leave the long clubs and just have a simple approach when you, when you were struggling to break 90? Was that a tough thing to do when you go on the golf course? Well, it's difficult because like... When I, when I started making the videos, was a, a period in my life where it was about getting rid of ego. Yeah. So, yes, before, uh, let's say if I struggled with the driver before when I was playing regularly, that would be a big struggle. Like, you know, you feel like a wimp and you're getting, you're getting, like, you're getting ragged by your friends. But for me, it was pretty simple because I was on a mission to improve the game and improve my game. And for me it's pretty easy to do because like, I don't like the feeling of hitting it way right into the water or to the bushes because on Asian golf courses, as you know, there's water everywhere. Is there anything more debilitating than losing five, six rounds of six balls per round? No. So, so I, it was pretty easy for me and the people I've seen who have adopted the same approach, it was a bit difficult to let go, 
but once they do, man, they really, they, they, they really start to love playing golf. And that's what I found is that I actually enjoyed it more. And then once you get better at the other clubs, you start to lose all the headworms you had with the bigger club, like the driver. And then when you slowly start to introduce it back into the game, it becomes easier to, to get in play. But for me, no problem. For a lot of people, though, that's a big issue, getting rid of that driver. So just, just for the record, so you, you, weren't, you, were, you weren't breaking 90, so you were playing off about 20 handicap. So what did you, using these concepts, what are you down to now, averaging? I, I don't know, but I think it's probably about a two or a three, yeah. but I always say five to be safe. But I mean, I rarely shoot over 80. Uh, if I do, it's, it's uh, when I'm not into the game. It's because of something else, like something external. So I'd probably say a two or three. And how much and, are you playing a week? Uh, now I play maybe once or twice a week, maximum, maximum twice a week. Yeah, um, so not, not ridiculous wise, amounts, not ridiculous amounts. No, no, yeah. no, no, I, I never have because I don't like practice. So mm. like, uh, I moved in Bangkok closer to a driving range that is like walking distance. And for the year and a half I lived there, I went to the range once in the mm. first week because I just don't like it. So I like to play on the course and being out here in Asia, because it's quite expensive, I don't get on the course that much. Um, because in the West, I mean, you can get a membership and have like green fee, green fee paid for, for the year. You just rock up and get on the course. So if I was in the West, I'd probably bank three or four times a week. Yeah. I think what you're saying is true though. A lot of people don't have the time or want to practice. So, so yeah. do you think that's the audience you've gathered? Do you think that's more the people that don't really have a lot of time to practice and want to improve their golf and have more fun? Yeah, I think so. Because, um, that's exactly what it is. You know, people living high stress lives now, they've got lots of work to do. They've got families. And the point, that's exactly the point is that the down the nose pros are teaching people shots that they need to spend like a hundred hours practicing. Whereas the concepts I'm trying to show are things you can go straight out tomorrow and just go implement them. It's very, it's very simple. It's just leave a few clubs at home that are bad for you. Uh, hit the ball as, as far as you can with the tee that goes straight enough and plan the shot into the green to be your most comfortable. And then when you do have time, just practice the short game. That's all. That's pretty, pretty much the whole philosophy. Yeah, the, the idea is to try and get people to have more fun playing golf. Now, do you, yeah. do you think that's come about by people not thinking so much when they're out there? They're able to sort of enjoy the experience of the golf course, see the birds fly, the wind, feel the wind, and experience the golf course they're doing instead of being in their head all the time. I think, I think there's a few parts. There's, there's some part like that where you're just outside enjoying the time with your buddies and, you know, you're just having a laugh, which is actually kind of why I play golf. Mm. So I, I enjoy that part. Um, I like being in nature. I like being outside when it's quiet. I can escape people, especially living in Bangkok for seven years. It's like just full of people. So when you can get on a golf course, it's really quiet. But the, I think the, the, the one that's, People don't quite realize that they, why they're enjoying golf now. It's because they're actually thinking before a shot, making a plan before a shot or before a hole, and sticking to that. And that control of your emotions, actually, because you're in control, brings you some kind of happiness. When you lose control, that's when you start getting emotional and you start getting a bit mentally unstable. And when you're on the golf course, it can spiral very quickly, especially with amateurs, because we don't understand that the next shot could be the best of your life or the next hole, you can just recover. Every shot in front of you is a unique one. So I think that concept of thinking before and giving the shot, every shot, its own, 
attention and the respect it deserves gives people the control back and that emotional stability back. So when they finish around, they go, wow, I executed like 80% of what I wanted to do and I never went into the negative death spiral of golf thinking. So using your concepts is, that you mentioned, um, if yeah. someone went out tomorrow, what do you think they could literally take off their score if they just you know, came out and, and decided to do what you're saying? If they had to watch something like the, um, the How to Break 90 videos and the How to Break 100 videos, just by watching only those ones on the channel, they could probably, they could probably take off, I would guess, up to 10 shots. Wow. Just 10 shots. I mean, it's, it's literally that easy because this, it, the, what I'm telling people is to, is to avoid blow-up holes, which is what really kills your score is to avoid making the mistakes. And you avoid making the mistakes by making better decisions, playing to your abilities and not to the abilities someone else told you to play to. Mm. So I think they could do that. And if they put a bit of short, time, short game practice in, a lot of guys are making six, seven, three putts around and just eliminating five of those, you've taken five shots off alone. So spending time on the short game when you do have time, but just taking the concepts of the videos of planning a hole, playing your abilities, your favorite shots, leaving the bad clubs at home, Man, up to 10 shots, easily. I played with one guy. I played with one guy. He shot his best. First time I ever played with him in, in Thailand. His name's AJ. He shot a 49, breaking 50 for the first time. His previous best for nine holes was 56. Wow. So he took seven shots of his score. And in the end, I, I think we broke his best ever score by something like 11 or 12 shots. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just purely by what are you going to do here, AJ? And he's like, yeah. I'm going to hit this shot. And you're like, well, you don't have that shot because even I don't have that shot. And I'm playing off a four. Mm -hmm. So then I got him to think a bit differently in terms of like just bailing out in the right area, not hitting this, this stupid shot. Because like I always say, above a six handicap, there's no hero shots, just stupid shots. And think yeah. if you can get rid of those stupid shots, that alone can save you three, four, five shots around. Yeah. And with the... With this um, philosophy you've come to, you've obviously done this yeah. through the way you've played and how many rounds you've had with different players and trialing and erroring. Um, you've played with a lot of coaches and tour players. Um, so with that information, have you sort of concocted all what you've uh, learned over the time and, and put into play? And that's how you've sort of come yeah, to the, this? The, the main influence is old men. That's the main influence. Like if you go play with an old guy who's been playing the same course for 20 or 30 years mm. and you're a mid, mid to high handicapper, that's where you're going to learn the most. Mm. I mean, that's, that's where the foundation of the way of the player comes from. But then like, as we talked about, as your skill level gets better, then you have to start to morph into playing more like a, a coach. A coach would tell you if you, you know, watching the coach play. But that's where it started because I used to play at a golf course in South Africa, Parkview Golf Course. And I used to play with old guys because I was a student and no one else was around the course except old guys at 6 a.m. So I'd play with these guys and I'd learn to play the golf course like them. Obviously, I have more longer distances, but using their same techniques of missing in the right places, leaving my comfortable shots and staying on the fairway, I got down to a scratch handicap, literally playing with old people. Mm. And then what I slowly start to learn is now to get even better than that, you need to start listening to the coaches and the pros on how they play the game. Like I say, you guys focus, the number one thing I've seen is you guys focus on the lie of the golf ball, which I think is one of the, the main differences between handicap levels. So those are the kind of insights that I found with the pros and the coaches. But that 
the, the higher level stuff like that is more applicable to the lower handicaps. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, the coaches know how to coach everyone down and score. But when I play with them and, and observe them to see the differences, the main difference is very high level stuff that is far beyond the, beyond the comprehension of someone like a high handicap. Mm-hmm. So it has morphed my own game, but it's not really morphing my influence on high and mid handicappers. That still goes back to the basics of old man golf. And do you think the role of a coach should be a little bit more out on the course with, with mid to high handicappers? Do you think that would uh, bode yeah. more um, well for their progression? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, I mean, like a lesson's great, but uh, like my sister went for her first ever lesson with a coach and she, the first thing she said was like, great, I can hit a golf ball on the range now, but now I want to see how it works on a golf course. So she wanted to book immediately an on-course lesson. And I think that if you could combine the on-course with the, pro, with the coach as well as the, the actual swing lessons, that would be a massive combo because a lot of people leave the coaching the coaching session and they've got the concept, but you know what it's like, you learn something new and your body perverts it into something to make it easier for you. Mm-hmm. So the next time you go see your coach, what you've learned is like you've, you've turned it into something wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think if a coach had to combine just uh, coaching in person, uh, accepting videos from the, the student as they, as they go to the driving range and helping them and then on course lessons, I think that's a formula for, uh, you could go from a 20 handicap down to single figures in probably six months yeah. if you dedicated the time with your coach. I completely Easily. agree. I completely agree. If the coach doesn't have a minimum of one playing lesson in their program, um, they're not doing the right thing. It, it, 100%. There is so much difference between hitting a golf ball on a mat into a driving range that's you know 60 meters wide to hitting to a pin that's over water yeah. with wind off the right. <laughs> so the, 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 when there's something on the line, um, it, it, your, mental, your mental's got to be ready for it. So definitely having more experience out in the course, doing it uh, in, that, in that environment, especially when, as we mentioned before, a lot of players don't have a lot of time to practice and yes. they want to have, enjoy the game, get better, but they don't have the time to really upskill themselves at home or work on what the coach has said. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah I, that, I, I tend to agree. That is something that I, especially when it comes to coaching, because people always ask me, because I've said some people on the channel have gone to a coach, and I always say, if you can't get the ball of the tee, if you're in pain, if you ha- don't have a one-way miss and the ball can go anywhere at any point, and you just you're trembling over the ball. You have to go see a pro. There's no other way. Don't go on YouTube. Don't go on the Golf Digest books. Go see a professional. But then when the, what a lot of people are scared of is going to see a pro and going to that guy who's going to give you the stack and tilt is all he teaches. He's going to give you the Adam Scott only. They're going to give you only this one technique. You have to hit a draw to play proper golf. Only draws. And then they go and they get told all these fandangled ideas and that's what they're scared of. But so what I would suggest to people is if you go to a coach and he hasn't helped you in the first hour lesson massively, and he's just pushing you to buy a package of, of courses, a package of lessons without actually helping you, then you need to be a bit wary. So my philosophy is always a coach needs to help you in the first hour massively. So if you're hitting a huge slice, if he can get you to hit a small slice or a big hook, that's great. But if he's telling you, oh, there's something wrong with your wrist angle and you have to stay on plane and we're going to have to do this and that, but you need a package of 10 to get it done, then I, I, I'm very skeptical of people like that. 
and also coaches who are able to go onto the golf course and play with you without sometimes without charging, just going for a social round for nine holes, giving you a pointer here and there. I mean, these are the guys you're going to go back to and recommend. So for me, if the guy is really into helping people, you'll pick up that vibe and you pick up a vibe with the person anyway. And it's the same with anything in business in life and relationships. If you like that guy and, and he comes across in a way that he communicates properly to you, you're going to click and, and you're going to trust what he tells you much better. Don't be selling in the first lesson. Don't be pushing stuff onto the customer because it gives that feeling. And I think that's what turns a lot of people off pros. So when you meet that guy who's just wanting to help and has a passion for the game, what a difference, man. It changes your whole life. Like mm -hmm. Brian, he's been to this guy, David, here at the Elf Club. And dude, he was hitting pop gun 120 yard shots with every single club in his bag, way right. And he couldn't play golf. He was going to give up. This guy helped him in about 20 minutes, mm -hmm. had him hitting it with a little draw. And that's the kind of coach that I'll, I'd recommend to everybody all the time. Yeah. I'll, and he I'll, goes on the course, he goes on the yeah. course with him for social rounds and like, that's it. It's like easy life. Mm, yeah, for sure. I would, I would say if, if someone was going to a coach and they wanted to really improve and they've got time to improve and they've got hours to put into their practice, uh, definitely changing techniques and different positions uh, may work. I would challenge on that part, but definitely if someone is, is coming to you and they don't have time to practice and they're looking to improve, mm. uh, I would agree with you hundred percent on that. So, the coach should really sum up what the player would like um, yeah. to achieve and what sort of time frame they've got to practice. That, that is a big key and a big question that should be asked because if there's mm -hmm. no time to practice, then these technique changes shouldn't be implemented and it should be more yeah, exactly. about golf course. Okay. What are you doing at this moment? I mean, if it was up to me um, in my programs, the first thing I would do is actually go on the golf, golf course with the player because the player themselves, I find, don't even know where their best part of their game is, where, where they're good at, what they're not good at. So when they describe yeah. something to me on the driving range and I eventually go out and play with them, I've found that, well, actually, you're not that bad at that or you're losing a lot of shots doing this. Or, so there's definitely um, the first time I want to see someone, I, I'm, I would love to go out and actually on the golf course and play nine yeah, holes with them. But imagine if every coach was like that. That would be that would change the whole world. Yeah. And that would be great. But yeah. but I agree, like if you've got time and you have time to dedicate to changing your swing and to actually getting your game in order, that that's of course, you know, you have to like you have to keep going regularly, you have to keep doing the checks. If you have a goal in mind, like if you want to be a scratch player or something, yeah, you should definitely dedicate time. But it, for example, like if you are having a shit time on the golf course and the mm. ball is spraying everywhere, it's not mm. even getting off the tee. You're hitting freshies. You, mm. you, you, <laughs> you don't know if it's going way right or way left. And then you hit one down the middle when you aim it in the wrong position. Mm. Then like that instant fix to just get you not screwing it up. That's, right. that's like, that's life changing as well. And, and I think if you're in such a bad state, like mm. I'm not right. So if I go to a coach, I want to dedicate time to, getting that driver working both ways. I, mm. want to, I want to shape the ball both ways effectively. I can fade it, but I can't draw it so nicely. So those are the things I would do and dedicate hours and hours to it. But if I'm a guy shooting 115 who used to shoot 95, man, I want something immediately to make mm. me start playing again. Yeah, and I would add to that too, before we, you know, you indulge, a coach indulges in technique change, you got to figure out the concept of the player too. What, what's happening for them to deliver that uh, technique initially because there's no point yeah. changing a technique that you don't like when the concept in their head is completely changed so 
that is very important too as a golf coach. Yeah. So by yeah, changing that, concepts, that could change anything, everything. But that's what I've been noticing lately is that for me, uh, for my swing example, that's why I'm, I'm looking to get coaching is that I don't believe because my swing is, has, I've got a bit of sway in it and I, I can come over the top sometimes and I get pain in the right side there. Sometimes, not so much anymore. But I've found that it's because there's a concept in my brain of how I'm supposed to deliver the club to the ball that makes my body go in the direction it goes. Mm-hmm. When, if you just give me a different thought, a different pattern to make my, to, to a task, to make me achieve a task, my body will adapt itself to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also, that's a huge concept I picked up uh, by watching something from Sean Clement, mm-hmm. one of the coaches online. And he was saying, you don't need a new, a new wrist angle or a new technique. You need a new task that your body will adapt to, to get you to perform that task that's automatically. Right. Yeah, a hundred percent. I totally agree with that. Um, concept is huge. And, and then if the concept hasn't worked, there might be something physical in the body or you just have to do something a little bit different to try and get that achievement. But yeah, uh, yeah it's, 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 a, it's fickle, isn't it? The, the difference between playing good and not playing good is, is, is this much. And yeah. <laughs> the ball shows you, you could be miles away, but really it could be only something this, this much that can change that will improve you. you know? Yeah. So, so, but I mean, like, I remember when we were talking on the golf course, you were talking about stuff like that. Now, when you're doing the coaching, do you also, um, do, you, do you go through, like, the, the concept of, of what they're doing? How do you find out, that, like, how do you know that my concept of what I'm doing is wrong? Yeah, so you know? the first thing I would do is figure out, like we mentioned before, how much time you got to practice and what you're, what you're trying to achieve. And then the second part is, what is your concept? What is, what is going through your head in the pre-swing, through your swing, and after the swing? In, in, in a, so working out in, in the person's head what is happening conceptually to hit the shot. And then sometimes I would just mention something else. Okay, if you're hitting a big slice, <clears throat> I want you to hit a big hook. And, that, and everyone's like, oh, I don't know how to hit a hook. I don't know how to mm. hit a hook. Well, no, you haven't tried to hit a hook. <laughs> how about let's yeah, go yeah. and do it? So I'd give them 10 balls and say, so I need you to aim at that tree on the right and hook it left. And nine times out of 10, they'll start hitting a hook. Amazing. So it, yeah. people are better than what they think they are. And so I, know, I normally get students that come to me and go, oh, I can't play. I'm, I'm this. I'm no good. I'm that. And I'll sit down for 10 minutes and listen to how bad they are and what they think they need to improve. And it's like, well, you're here because you don't know what you need to improve, A, right? <laughs> you don't know. So that's why you're here. Yeah. And the second one is you've got all this thing, stuff going through your head. I mean, how are you supposed to deliver uh, the club on the ball with any significant purpose mm. when that's all going through? So, um, yeah, the first thing is to just gouge out what's happening mentally and uh, the concepts going into the shot. So some people don't even realize um, the idea behind what the golf club does to get the ball in the air for you. Exactly. You know, so actually talking to them about how the golf club's made and how it actually, the loft, the shaft, the, the lean forward of the shaft allows you to get the ball in the air because the club is built that way. So if we just deliver the club how it's supposed to be delivered, the ball will do its thing. You don't have to help the thing in the air, you know? So yeah. All these con- that's why most people slice uh, to me is because they're focused yeah. on the ball and it's just focused on ball. And so that's why the club comes over the top, you know? So the ball, I need to hit the ball. I need to hit the ball. 
But if you say, hit the ball out to your target, all of a sudden yeah. there's a different movement. Yeah. So, yeah. That, uh, but also now you mentioned like people coming to a lesson and they're like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to work on that. One of the biggest things you have to do before going for a lesson is dropping your ego to like zero. Don't, when the coach says, um, you're doing that or this or that, or, you know, whatever it is he points out, don't say, I know, mm. you know, because mm. you don't know, <laughs> you know, mm. and, and often one of the worst things that people do is they try and self-diagnose their swing. So like they go to a coach and they're telling the coach what they're doing in the mm. swing, mm. but the coach, the coach gets a holistic view from a distance, whereas you're analyzing your swing from what you feel. Mm. And it's very different to what it looks like. I mean, how many times do you see a guy on the golf course trying to smash the ball yeah. and you say, dude, just, you're trying to hit the ball too hard. No, I'm not. I did not. I swung easy. And you're like, show him a video on the phone and you're like, and he's like, uh, uh, okay. Yeah, I understand. So when you go to the coach, you have to understand your self-diagnosis never, ever works. It never works if you're above a five handicap. I don't know. But when you go to the coach, he's looking not at your individual positions. He's looking at the swing as an overall movement. Mm. And he's not saying, okay, I mean, maybe some coaches do. They like the club, the club face and the wrist angle and the plane and P1 and P7 and P3. Maybe they're looking at that stuff. But like you've just said, they're looking at all the compensations you're making to get the club face delivered to the ball because we all have compensation. So we start at zero mm. and then let's say your stance is open. That's a minus one. But then what you do, you do something on your takeaway that negates that compromise. So now you're at zero again because it's a plus one. And you get to the top of the swing and across the line and over the top. Now you're at minus two. But then you do something with your hip and your right elbow and that's a plus two. So then eventually yeah. you get back to the ball and you've either done it perfectly and you've timed it to be at zero or you've, got, you've mm -hmm. done two other bad things and you're at minus two in your compensations mm -hmm. and the ball's going wrong. So the pro can see the chain of events that lead to the bad result. Yeah. Whereas yeah. we yeah. watching slow-mo swings of ourselves are going, Oh dude, I'm going over the top <laughs> and now I've got to tuck my right elbow yeah. and clear the hips. No one knows how to do that. The pro no. knows how to say, feel that. Mm. Boom. It's in sync. Well, a, a little secret, a good coach would actually work from impact backwards. So they would work from the impact okay. area and work backwards from there and go, okay, is this impact in a good spot? Yes, it is. Okay, well, we've got to work on power or the way it, it flies in the air. If it's not in a good spot, we've got to work out a way. Okay, well, why is that impact condition not in the position we want? Because yeah. at the end of the day, if you want to improve your ball striking, there is a certain look that you need the club to be in at impact. I mean, whether you mm. swing it high, low, Jim Furyk, um, whoever it is, at impact, if you're not in that spot, that special spot we want, we've got to work back from there. So, um, yeah, that's it. So you talked about the way of the player. So talk yeah. about that because that's a new, new phrase for me. So is that part of uh, what you, you talk about through your, yeah. your channel? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much the philosophy of, of thinking your way around a golf course and plotting your way around according to you. Um, too many people play a game that they've been told to play. Like play the game that you can play with the shots you can play. Mm -hmm. And it's not even necessarily new. People often argue with what, I, with what I preach, but it's all derived from people like Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods, where they are the people working back from the green. 
Jack Nicklaus is the kind of person who would hit a driver left on the first hole, driver right on the second hole, and play three and play a one iron the rest of the round, and still shoot two or three under. So there's nothing really unique about it, except they've taken all the best concepts and put it into the way of the player. And the way of the player is, like I've said, it's like you play your game, you maximize your capabilities the best you can, you avoid what you can't do until you can work on it away from the course really hard before introducing it, and then short game it's all everything it starts with a short game and like i always tell people it's like start with the two footer start then go to the three footer go to the four footer and go to the five footer we can all be as good as professionals inside 100 yards you don't need power you don't need to have big muscles you just need some time dedicated to making your three footers making your four footers making your five footers when you can make your five footers 80 percent of the time like a pro does because we're not playing on 12 stem greens. We're playing on nine and 10 stem greens. You mm. can do it. If you can make those four footers, five footers, it takes the pressure off your, your short game, your chipping and your pitching. So if now you know if you get the ball to within five feet, you're going to jam the putt. So that makes your chipping easier. So now you're not scared of chipping. And then you move back to your approach shot. And now you're not scared of missing a green a little bit or having a longer putt because you don't three putt anymore. And you make your five footers and you chip it close. So then that leaves more pressure off your driving game because now you can hit it with more freedom knowing if you get it around the green in two or three shots, you're going to be getting up and down. And that's the filter up effect. And mm. that's not a new concept either, right? That's in the way of the player that I described. But I heard that from Phil Mickelson. Yeah, professionals definitely speak to that as well. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. That's, that's great advice, mate. Um, I want to move on to... Um, uh, if, if golfing bodies around the world were listening to you and, and through your experience um, playing in the industry, I want to know where the industry needs to improve uh, to, to enable new players to the game to have a bit more fun. So I want to talk about golf courses to start with, the experience when you go to the yeah. golf course. So you've played a heap of golf courses, a heap of good ones, heap of ordinary ones, I'd imagine. When you come off a golf course... What do, you, what do you enjoy about the experience the most? Which, which of the golf courses you look back and go, had a great time? Was it the condition of the course? Was it the hospitality of the course? Uh, was it the customer service? Which part of the experience does the golf course need to you know, encourage people to play and have fun? It's a, it, for me, I mean, I, like you say, I played a lot. And the funniest part is that my two favorite golf courses here in Johor, Baru in Malaysia, one is an uh, elite golf course, really top-notch, top-notch facilities, top-notch manicuring. And the second one is a nine-hole public course that has nice greens. And it's got cow grass everywhere, and it's shabby, and the leaves are lying in the rough. And, you know, it's next to a main road highway and some council housing. But it's one of my favorites as well. And I think the main thing that makes it fun for me is the relaxed atmosphere. There's not a whole lot of... And neither of them are members courses, I guess. That, that also could be a thing because mm -hmm. members courses really do turn into the who's got the best car and the most <laughs> white pants and the best pink belt. Yes. You know, so, so who's got the most I money? Think it's, <laughs> yeah, who's got the most cash? Who's got the most mistresses? Whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's, like, it's like I like to go play golf and not have pressure from the marshals, not have pressure from too many people on the course. I understand they have to make money, but a nice gap between tee times is nice because you've got the course to yourself and if you're at a normal pace um, and it can be conditioning so a place like forest city where i play here in johor is in like elite condition and the location of the next to the ocean 
and with the perfect green grass everywhere, perfectly cut. That's really a nice thing to be, mm. to experience. But the public course is just super relaxed. Anything goes. You can wear a t-shirt on there if you want. You could wear, uh, you could probably get away with flip-flops if you wanted. Um, and the manicuring is not that great, but it's a relaxed environment. And I think a lot of people don't like playing golf because it's not relaxed. A lot of the time, like I said, members clubs, it's like really snooty. And, mm. you know, people are deeply into the etiquettes and the rules and the mm -hmm. down the nose attitude. And I think that turns a lot of new players off. Oh, in my experience, beginner golfers are so scared to go on the golf course. They're like, I, I'm not ready, yeah. Jake. I'm not ready. I'll embarrass myself. I don't know the rules. And they yeah. really don't want to play, which I think is a huge detriment to the game. I, we need to improve that um, because I'm not sure where they get this from. It must be years of, uh, you know, the big pearly gates with the closed only to members sign up with, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, you're not allowed in here, you know, unless you pay all these money and you're a good golfer. I think that that, that look and feel for the game has to change uh, if you want to get new players into the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's difficult because I know that, um, you know, golf courses have to make cash to keep, to even stay open. And there's also, there's also a certain level of snootiness where you also don't want certain people in your club, you know, like you don't want the ruffians who are going to like break your tee markers and, you know, hit mm -hmm. balls in the car park for fun and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But for new golfers, I mean, maybe, you know, having more courses that are beginner friendly, you know, like not, not making them so long, not making them so full of bunkers, not making them so um, protected around the greens, you know, having easier courses for beginners to play and, and, mm -hmm. A place like Forest City, for example, I, keep, I, I say it again, they have two courses. The one's a Jack Nicklaus course and the one's a, another guy. He's quite a good designer from China. And the second course, the, the classic that the Chinese guy designed, it's like, it's brutal. If you're missing the fairway in the water or you're on a slope like this, you know. Mm. But the Jack Nicklaus course has got bailout on the right. There's bunkers where they need to be, but you're not really going in them. Um, the fairways are nice and wide. The greens are nice and flat. They're not on tabletops. They're not trying to all be Augusta. They're not all trying to be like a PGA standard golf course to make it like difficult just to make pros shoot over par. And I think that difficulty and lengthening of course and, and the shaming of, of calling it like ladies tea and, and grandpa's tea and men's tea and championship mm -hmm. tea. It's like when you start the game, you want it to be easy. You want it to be fun. Mm -hmm. You don't want to go out and play, you know, like, the Beth Page Black off the tips. You want to play mm. like off the ladies' tees at the local club from 5,000 yards, you know? Yeah. And I don't think enough of that is done. And if you do do that, well, your score didn't count. That's yeah. not golf. You've got to play off the whites. <laughs> That's right. The, the rules definitely need to be relaxed a little bit, especially compared, I understand elite golf courses or professional golf rules, I understand they need to be adhered to uh, if you're playing for money. But in terms of amateur golf, they don't need to be the same rules. And in, in golf, they're the same, you know, whether you play professional amateur, it's, I think it's ridiculous. So they've got to definitely um, ease up. Like, like not where, you can't use a belly putter as an amateur. I mean, how many yeah. not play golf anymore because of that rule? Why would you yeah. have that rule for an amateur? Well, exactly. It's just ridiculous. And, <laughs> well, like I play with my sister quite a bit and she's been playing about a year and a half now. But when she first started playing, she couldn't get out of a bunker like most people. Mm. And I just said, we're not playing the British Open. 
take three practice strokes in the bunker. Just hit the sand. Yeah. Practice yeah. slapping the sand. And then after she did that, she started getting it out. And then she started going down to two practice strokes and one practice stroke. And now she's a machine out the bunker. Yeah. And a lot of things are like that, you know, on the, on the golf course where the rules apply to pros. And now they're talking about like reducing the distance of the ball and the clubs. Yeah, cool. Do that for the pros. But for us, you know, the old guy is hitting at like 230 now where he used to hit 190 mm -hmm. with a new ball and a new club. He doesn't want to play golf anymore. I completely and, agree. I completely agree. If, if they're going to roll back the ball, okay, whatever you want to do, that's fine in the pro ranks, that, whatever. But yeah, doing that to the amateur ranks is just going to send people into early retirement or they, they're going to leave yeah. the game. And, you know, I just don't understand why they would do that. So I, yeah, I, and I they have this. Yeah. And they have this thing of like conforming and non-conforming clubs. Yeah. It's like, dude, if I'm playing against the old guy who's got a non-conforming driver and golf ball, He's playing those to be handicapped using those anyway. Mm. So if, if he's going to continue using it, he's handicapped yeah, using right. those clubs anyway. So yeah. keep going. I mean, if the dude's now hitting a 235 when he was hitting 180, man, I'm so happy for an old guy like that. He's got his like vitality back. Right. Yeah. So, I, I totally agree. So that's right. Each, each golf club, we've got to assess um, who, who they're, who, what golfers they've got there. Um, I know yeah. where, where we were at my old club. Uh, it was a it was a good opportunity to relax some rules, so I was I was able to allow groups of five if the golf course was yeah. not so busy, and uh, you don't have to wear a collar and all these things that don't really matter in the end. It doesn't really yeah. matter if there's a group of five out there with no one else on the course. It doesn't really matter if you don't have a collar, but it matters for the person playing and the enjoyment of the golf. That I didn't send I them back home. You know. Yeah, I guess it's I guess it's just about like you know thinking of the consumer and the customer. That's mm. it. Because most places I find, uh, not only golf courses but especially golf courses, they don't actually care about the the customer. Mm. You know, when you walk in there, you don't you want to like to return. You want to feel like you had a great experience mm. and you made some requests or you were able to do different things that you weren't allowed to do before. Like here in Asia, I don't even realize it anymore. But a five flight and a six flight jumbo flight of golfers is allowed. Like, you know, you've just mentioned that. I forgot that we can do that here without any problems. But in the West, there's no, no such thing. No chance. And, and that is true. I mean, it's like all the policies are in place and you've got the person, the warm body at the front of the, of the golf course saying, no, no, okay, no. Mm. So maybe things like that. I, I, I'm so used to playing in Asia now. I haven't played in the West in about six, seven years properly that I, I, don't, I don't even know what it's like anymore. Mate, when you get out of lockdown, I got to invite you down, play some Melbourne Sandbelt courses. You you might have to wear a collar, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I, I like wearing a collar, but uh, we'll see what happens because I'm Lithuanian now, but I, I I can't get my passport because I have to travel somewhere to go get it. Uh, so well, then hopefully you work it Australia. out. Hopefully you work it out, mate. But uh, yeah, that's that's awesome advice. Now to finish, I thought it might be fun to uh, answer some subscriber questions that we we put out okay. to your subscribers yesterday. So. I'm going to run through a couple of questions that we might uh, quickly run through. Um, this one's from Peter Cannon. How did you learn the golf swing? Did you take lessons or was it primarily practice? Uh, I uh, had an Ernie Els VHS tape and I tried to copy Ernie Els from his tape and that is all I did. And I literally didn't do anything else because I used to read Golf Digest. And every time I read a tip in Golf Digest, I'd go play the round the day after and shoot the worst score ever and just go, okay, <laughs> no tips. So it's always been natural. 
yeah. except for two lessons when I couldn't hit a driver at all to save my life. I went to a lesson. The guy fixed me in about 12 minutes, just told me to move the ball back in my stance, shot 72 the next day. And I went for another lesson uh, a year before last because I same thing, couldn't hit the driver. And it was exactly the same problem, ball position. Mm. So swing-wise, cool. nothing. This is from Stephen Giesel. More important to play excellent courses or shoot excellent scores? Excellent courses, man. I don't really care about the score anymore. (laughs) It's like if I'm playing on a place that's beautifully manicured and I'm putting up 90, I don't even care. I'm just watching the surroundings. Yeah. Um, Now, this is from Lee Angus. I think we might have sort of touched on this, but how would you recommend a high mid handicapper split time between playing and practicing? I have 1.5 to 2 hours twice a week where I usually hit the range and practice green. But I wonder if one of those sessions would one of those sessions would be better spent playing a practice nine holes instead. 100%. I mean, if you have an executive course nearby, the par three courses or do you call them mashies in Australia? We call them mashies. Not, not mashies, no. Okay. So I would go to the golf course and just put down two or three balls and uh, hit a few off the tee for nine holes. I mean, that's my favorite kind of practice. Like if you have one and a half hours, go do chipping and putting only and then the other hour and a half, go play nine holes and just hit mm. multiple balls. And, and if you run out of time on the sixth hole, pick up all the balls and go home. You did enough. Yeah. I agree totally. You spend one hour and practice something you need, you think you need to practice from someone who knows what they're doing and then spend the rest of the time out on the golf course, 100%. Uh, Corey Lachlan, what is the most difficult aspect of teaching the way of the player? Well, where do you get the most resistance or what demons are the hardest to get rid of when introducing this style? Uh, There's one and it's the ego <laughs> and the fact that I'm saying something contrary to what this person believes. So when they're standing on a tee and I'm saying, you cannot hit a driver on this hole. Even if you can hit it well, it is not a driver hole. Hit the five with What they'll actively do is they will take their golf ball and they will actively put it in a position on the tee where you can control every variable and they'll put it in the worst position so that they top that five wood to go, hmm, do you see? I should have hit driver. And then you hit, let them hit the driver and it's a complete disaster. And you say, okay, now let go of the ego. Let's tee it high and let it fly. And then they're convinced that it's always the ego getting in the way of this new concept that they're trying to prove me wrong with. Nice, mate. Nice, mate. And uh, they very often, very often they are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, though? What about you when you're teaching people for the first time, the first lesson? First lesson. Well, it all depends on the person. But if they're, you mean if they're a complete beginner? No, it's like a guy who's coming there with his head is full of stuff. He's a 12 handicap. He can't break 90. Yeah. It, it's literally just watching him go about it and, and understanding the concept behind it. So I, I, I almost say scrap what you know before. Scrap, scrap everything you're thinking that you think you know about the game. And if you're going to listen to me, you got to listen to me from the start. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, you've got to clear the slate. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't work. If you've got four or five different opinions in your own head trying to get to the one place, it's not going to work. And you'll just go yeah. around and around in circles. But uh, so the first thing is I've got to say, look, if we're going to do this, you're going to listen to me to start with. That's number one. Number two, you don't know anything about it. I do. Right. <laughs> and number three, show me what you've got. And then we sort of go, go from there. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it's, 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 it's not... 
you've, you've got your, like, I've got a, like a system where you, I go through, you know, I've got a system of questions and things I run through in my head and then I've got a sort of system for the golf swing itself. So there's definitely mm. things, but there's definitely over, over the experience of all the years that I've coached, you've definitely come to a, uh, an efficient way of dealing with someone and, you, and you, you, you've seen most different people come to you. You, you sort of understand yeah. what you can. No one's really shocked me yet. <laughs> and after all this time so it's pretty similar it's pretty similar you've yeah, always person is a complete beginner which i love because the complete beginner doesn't have any issues mentally nothing the complete beginner comes in there and just is attracted to your eyes and is like what tell me tell me what to do joe you know <laughs> so this that yeah. seems to be the easy thing but when, when you've got someone who's played the game for 5 10 15 years and who have gone down the rabbit hole and after two years of denial realize they need help <laughs> or they haven't and seen your or found your channel they, they'll come to me and go hey i've got all this stuff fix me and um you know that's where we start from but yeah okay yeah and you probably get the resistance like that passive aggressive resistance where you give like an idea and they go really mm, yeah. Uh, yeah 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 i'm not sure about that jake a hundred percent yeah the, i've had some people come to me and say this is what i've got the problem with uh this is what we're going to work on like this is what my issue is. Let's work on this. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. I thought I was a professional. Yeah, that's all right. All right, let's do that. <laughs> but uh, again, I might, I might sort of, you know, go, okay, well, again, assess, you know, how much time is this guy working on his swing? Yeah. How much does he really want to improve? And, and, and most of the time I do just head out to the golf course with them and play a few holes and see what actually happens because yeah. usually it's not what they say has happening. I would say you, I, I would agree that hundred percent. Yeah. So um, as we mentioned before, the first thing I would like to do when I start coaching up again back in Australia is, is to do that is literally go out on the golf course if they're not a beginner and, and just actually observe what happens because mm. then I, I've got more of an idea of where to start. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Um, next question is from Do Wanju. He wants to know why do you separate commentator for your video? Because I don't want to listen to my own voice. <laughs> I will I, see. Like I make videos. <laughs> I make videos that help other people. But one of the main reasons I started making videos was because I don't like watching anything on YouTube related to golf. I only like watching my own videos. <laughs> so I want to listen to something pleasant. And a friend of mine has a very pleasant voice. I call him the butler. Yeah, that's a cool idea, man. I like that. It's, it's, you should see, I, I don't watch, I hate uh, editing my videos back. <laughs> yeah, it's cringy. And, yeah. and, you, and, you, and you start, you, you sort of see you, but you don't see you. Like I, I literally yeah. don't even yeah, take it in. That yeah, I'm and... And you start to pick up on your idiosyncrasies of, of yeah. the little words and, and fillers that you use. And you just start like, yes. your blood starts boiling and you're like, just stop talking. Okay, forget it, voiceover. Yes, yes. Um, uh, 100%. What's the, what's the word, babe, that I, um, that I say all the time? The, the filler word? Mine is, mine is now. Now? Now. Now, players. Now. Oh, God. I'm not sure you, you seem well-spoken. Oh, well, I appreciate that. So do you. No, you, you learn over uh, several videos. You, you learn what you, you don't like hearing back, you know, and, and, you, yeah. and you, don't, you don't realize how much you say it, do you? You don't realize, oh, gee. Yeah, my, my sister Tiski's videos, hers was so. Obvious. So and she told me the other day she was editing a video 
and it just she said so i don't know 20 times in a video and she, by the end of it she was walking around going oh my god i can't hear myself say so ever again <laughs> i just i just we just thought about it obviously i've, I've put it out of my mind obviously. so much i used to say obviously all the time obviously oh, obviously that's, obviously. Even, that's that's one of the worst because i'm like well why are you telling me about it if it's so obvious <laughs> I know. thanks jake i'm that's, such an idiot <laughs> that's what my wife keeps saying it's not obvious jake it's not obvious <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, this is from Perita. Gee, I, I can't even. I'm going to call him Perita K. Do you think mid handicapper can become low handicapper in short amount of time with the right strategy? Easy life, hundred percent, no problem at all. Just if you've got major issue, go see the pro. And uh, if you have mental and thinking issues, just watch my channel, How to Break yep. Eighty. Easy. Nice. Paul Woodington, who would you rather play with? A pro who is taking it too seriously? or very seriously, or a 28 handicapper who is just playing to have a good time? Every time, 28 handicapper, six yeah. beers, done. 100%, I, I, 100%. Taking it seriously and like watching a dude take seven practice swings to get the perfect feel for that little baby cut into the back right pin, I can't be bothered. Just hack it up there, three no. or four shots, let's have a beer at the, at the drinks tent, done. I'm the same. I if it's a it's a dick handic uh, a, a dick tour player up against a twenty eight handicapper who's having a great time, I'm hundred percent on the same. Easy life, unless Easy. it was Tiger Woods. Yeah, <laughs> then I would I would play with him over anyone. That's right. There is a line. There is a line, and it's Tiger Woods. <laughs> he can he can take seven hours. I don't mind. I'll just be in his, in his aura. He he does seem like he's got a good personality though, so that might be interesting. Um. What is the, this is from Brian Beecher. What is the funniest, best golf memory that isn't already in a video that you've done? Or is that Brian Beauchamp? You might have yeah. butchered his name completely. I've butchered it, man. <laughs> Beauchamp. Beauchamp. I know. Beauchamp. He actually, he's, he's the guy who helps me design these shirts and the hats. Oh, yeah, cool. So, so that's how I know his name. <laughs> well, he butchers everything by yep. the looks of it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm only joking. I love it. I love it. I love it. What is this question? Sorry. He wants to know what is the funniest or best golf memory that isn't already in a video that you've done? Uh, I don't, I, it didn't happen on the camera, but somebody was taking a practice swing and they, and they hit a divot and it hit me in the face. And I, and I just, I, it wasn't that serious, but I just went down like a sack of potatoes, like I'd been shot. <laughs> <laughs> and the dude was so worried. He thought he'd killed me. And I just lay there motionless. That's <laughs> oh, no. so I've, I've loved that one for ages. Otherwise, yeah. on the golf course, man, anytime I play with my friend, Didi, man, it's a good time. Always yeah. funny shit happening all yeah. the time. And that's what it's about, man. Like, mm. I, that's another thing, actually, we didn't, start, we didn't touch on. Mm. If you have crappy golf friends who make you feel miserable when you play with them, they're like, oh, you've come out of that one. Oh, you've over the top. Yeah, you know, you're going to slow it down. Oh, you've, you know, you've lifted your head. Just like there's, people don't understand, the best thing you can do for your game is stop playing with them mm. and go find better people to play with. It's something I picked up where I've dropped a, a lot of people I used to play golf with. And now I only have people that give me a good time on the golf course. And it makes a huge difference to the enjoyment and fun of the game. Yeah, for sure. Okay, what was the thing? This is his second question. What was the thing event that made you take the plunge and be a full-time YouTuber? Full-time YouTuber? No, I've, uh, I've not full-time on YouTube at the moment. I mean, it's not going to pay my bills. But uh, in terms of making so much content, 
is uh, seeing the reaction from people from what I'm doing just for fun and seeing that their life is actually changing. Dude, I had an email from one guy. He had cancer. I mean, this nearly made me cry. He had cancer and he was in the hospital doing chemotherapy and he was in a bad way. And he was taking every day going outside to the area he could sit in the sun and he was getting feathers and planting them next to the bench he was sitting on. And his wife would bring him feathers to plant, planting feathers, growing birdies. You know that saying I have. Mm, And mm. he was telling me in the email that every time he planted a feather, it was like hope that he would get back onto the golf course again. And he recovered from his cancer from that, from that, uh, you know, his treatment and his positivity. And he's now playing off one or two handicap again after six months of being back on the course. So that's like that kind of stuff. You're like, dude, People can say what they want about the bucket hats, about the no shirt tucked in, about my philosophy. But when you get emails like that, I mean, of course, I'm going to make yeah. if that's If that's the only thing that ever comes of it, I mean, you've, I mean what, a, what a thing to come of it. There you go. Oh, man, I had another email from a guy going through a divorce in America. And, you know, the divorce is quite a tragic thing, you know. It mm. can devastate you. And he broke 90 for the first time in his life, playing with his dad while he was... You know, he's going through this big battle. And he just said he broke down in his dad's arms. He was so happy he, like, finally achieved the goal while all this other Mm. stuff was going on in his life. And to me, it's like, dude, this guy's being shattered and torn apart in every direction Mm. by lawyers and stuff. And golf has finally brought him enough joy that he can just break down in tears of joy. So Mm. these are the kind of things that I keep making videos for. So the negative Mm. stuff, it gets blocked. And the positive stuff is what keeps it going. Do you find it that you've got a sense of responsibility for these guys now? Uh, these uh, YouTube subscribers and no, 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 no. This is the big thing. No ways. Uh, what I give is people a key. Yeah. They have to find the lock. Mm-hmm. So, so I feel responsible for the entertainment value, mm-hmm. but in terms of helping people, I can't do anything for anyone. Yeah. What they do. And a lot of people don't understand is they, they have to take what I give them mm-hmm. and apply it. And they often say, thank you to me. And I always say back in the email, dude, it's you. I've just given you that key that you needed to find which lock to put it in and now your life's changed. Yeah, no, 100% for sure, mate. People have got to find their own way. And, that, and that's, as a, as a good coach too, you've got to give them the tools to find their own way. You can't tell people what to do. Um, exactly. That's with, that's with anything in life. <laughs> people, have, yeah. people have got to come well, to that themselves. <laughs> well, exactly. And that's why I think my channel is, is uh, getting successful now is that I'm showing people. I'm not telling them. Yes, so I'll go out right. on the course and then I'll show somebody doing something. I'll say, How, why about you try this way? Mm, and then mm. it works. And people say, oh, okay, now I get what it's mm. talking about. Mm. And it's actually a 12 or 18 or a 5 or a 24 handicap for doing it. And not some dude showing you how he used to do it on tour. And you're like, cool, bro. That's, I don't have the thumbs for that though. <laughs> nice mate if and this is the last one jody is it jody farbery if you were marooned on a desert island golf course you could choose only one person to play with forever who would it be have to be careful <laughs> um let's if just I say your wife you said your wife and you know okay my wife doesn't play my wife doesn't play golf so oh, easy, she's easy, out. easy easy, <laughs> easy. So I would actually have to say, very simply, Didi, one of my best friends in Bangkok, who's like my Bangkok father, I'd play golf with that guy every single day of my life. Easy peasy. I'm offended. I don't, 
I don't know. But I mean, like, <laughs> but I mean, you don't even play golf anymore. <laughs> You're no, just I'm just giving you shit. I'm just giving <laughs> Okay, and and he said also, uh, same question. You could choose only six clubs. Which clubs would you select? Oh, what an easy life, man! I, I would. I'm going to narrow that to down to two. I'm going to narrow that down to two. Even Not easier. Six. Even easier. What's that? Give me, give me a um, hybrid, a full hybrid, yeah. and I would take a pitching wedge. Come on, man. You got to learn how to, on a desert island forever. You got to learn how to hit driver. What you would know, you take? Dri- driver uh, and putter? Or not putter. I'd hit, and driver and a three iron to hit stingers. So I'd hit driver just so I can tee it up and smash it as far as I could. <laughs> and then grab a two iron and hit stingers and try and skip the ball over the ocean or something. Man, you'd be having too much fun, bro. That's I'd be learning how to play my way around the around the island. <laughs> what do you think? Of, on on hitting bombs. What about D Shambo? What do you think about what he's doing, Bryson? Oh, I love that stuff, bro. Yeah. I it's love that the stuff. Game, like anyone who's a bit different, I like. I mean, yeah. I don't exactly look normal. So, um, <laughs> I mean, stature-wise, yes, but in terms of what I wear, it's a bit weird, and it, it takes away from some of the seriousness of golf. And if he's oh, yeah. getting huge and jamming at 340, man, mm. that's cool. You know, I'm, I'm very much uh, not in the camp of people who want steroids out of Olympics and, and performance-enhancing drugs out of sport. I'd love a performance-enhancing league and watch people run 100-yard dash in eight seconds and mm. hit golf balls 400 yards and, and just mm. like, go 28 under par for one round. I'd love watching that. Mm. So I'm all for that. Well, yeah, say what you want about the um, Lance Armstrong and seven tour to France victories. I mean, who cares if Andro seven in a row and he's the guy's a legend. I mean, to me. Still did it. <laughs> still still did a legend it. to me, dude. Still I got no it. problem what he took. Exactly. No I, problems. Exactly. I think it's great. For, I mean, the, the cycling hasn't been the same since back then when they, when they were yeah. all on it. Well, I mean, of course. I mean, cycling's never been great. I mean, you know, like, I, like I always say, if you're gonna if you're gonna be an asshole on the golf course, just give up and go take up cycling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I've had so much fun with you. Um, I love what you're doing with your channel and, and the and golf sidekick and, and the philosophy around. It. I think you're on the right track, and the amount of subscribers that you've got is a testament to that. So, I really appreciate your time. Uh, give a shout out. Uh, to your YouTube channel and where we can find you, mate. Uh, easy life. You can get onto YouTube and just uh, look up Golf Sidekick and it's going to show up. Or you could just type in how to break 80, how to break 90, how to break 100 and guaranteed top results going to be my video. Watch it, change your life. Great. Send me the check later. Okay. <laughs> I will, mate. And there's Facebook. There's Facebook as well and Facebook and Instagram. They can yeah. follow your journey. Yeah, there's Facebook. Uh, you can look up the Golf Psychic Make Golf Fun Again group and join it if you'd like. It's a very close-knit community and uh, very positive. It's not mm. uh, negative like a lot of the golf stuff out there. And Instagram is up there. I'm not so great on Instagram. I'm, I'm, I'm not so savvy. But uh, mm. you can mm. see what's going on more up-to-date around uh, my life on, on Instagram. Um, yeah. Otherwise, when are you coaching again, bro? Because you're pretty good. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty close to a few opportunities back down in Melbourne after COVID forced me back from Asia. So, um, yeah, I'll be out uh, very soon, very soon, somewhere soon. Okay. So, I'll keep an eye out and let people know where they can find me. But um, well, you better link that video that you're in. The yeah, Zen yeah. Master. 
I will. I, I'll link for the for the guys listening. Uh, I'll link the video that uh, happened to be on uh, with this man uh, last year, and I'll link that in uh, the, the YouTube description too. What a player, mate! What what a player, Thank you, sir! What a time I spent with you, and I uh, appreciate it again, mate. Thanks, Flair. All the best to you, mate. Cheers.